We are continuing our series where we've been watching people's responses to God's unexpected Christmas story. And we've, we've spent some time with Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and, and his kind of inability to even believe the prayers that had been a part of his life for so long. And last week we looked at, at, uh, at Mary and the, the kind of prayers and the hopes and expectations uh, that came through her family story, uh, that we had this genealogy of Jesus going back so far and, and all of these interesting people that are woven into that story and we don't always expect that some of the weird moments of our lives or some of the stories we might not want to share about ourselves might be a part of God's redeeming story. And so this week we move uh, to something more musical in nature and the way that people respond to God. And I want to start by just mentioning how grateful I am for the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke for even giving us infancy stories, even giving us stories to be able to talk about Christmas. Uh, we, it might seem strange, but for those early communities of Christians that just had the Gospel of Mark, uh, you just start right off in Jesus' baptism and in his like, adult ministry. And so Matthew and Luke add uh, some stories about the announcement that Jesus is going to be born and tell some stories around his birth and help contextualize his whole life and not, not just that last year or so of his ministry and leading up to, to Good Friday and Easter. And so we kind of talk about that segment of text, those texts about kind of the time up to Jesus' birth and maybe even when he's a small kid. We call those the infancy narratives of, of Matthew or Luke. And you might not realize it, but Luke's infancy narrative is a bit of a musical. You have these characters who just break out into this poetic, uh, this, this hymnic material. And it's interesting as you kind of read through your Bible, it depends on how your Bible is kind of translated, but you probably see in Luke chapter 1 the text moving from just kind of block text of narrative, and then suddenly it becomes poetic where the lines are indented a little strange, and, and they kind of take up more space, and there's some more empty space around it as the editors try to tell you, we're, we've entered into some poetry, into some song here. And it might remind you of the book of Psalms, because that's kind of the layout and structure that you get throughout reading the Psalms. Uh, but we have all of these stories of these characters who are experiencing God's work, and then they can't help but sing a new song. And I think that's fitting, because life is often a, a bit of a musical. And maybe you like movie or, or musicals in play form, but um, and maybe that's not necessarily your favorite genre of hearing music, but... There is a sense in which we can't help that music is such a part of our lives that it just kind of seeps out. And you might find yourself whistling a tune during your day. You might find yourself singing a song or, or back when life was normal and you're walking through retail stores and you don't notice, oh, I, suddenly I'm singing the song of what's playing in the store. Um, life is musical and there's a lot of benefits like health-wise, physically and emotionally to music. Uh, we know it helps with memory. Maybe you've seen those touching videos of someone who's, who's going through dementia or Alzheimer's, and then they start to hear their favorite song, and suddenly the lyrics come right back. Uh, there's a video I saw recently of a dancer, this kind of person who had been in ballet, who they started playing her song, and she starts knowing how to do those movements again. Uh, it's music so fully a part of our brain that our memory and, and even our learning is attached to it. And, and there's so much like music therapy nowadays. 
It can help with stress and blood pressure reduction and calm you out. Maybe if you've had some high stress tests, maybe part of it is, maybe we should listen to some calming music a little bit more frequently. And so there's plenty of, of health benefits. And what's interesting is it's not just like it's a unique fad of right now that we're suddenly musical. Uh, there's some very, very old musical instruments that you can find in the arch- kind of archaeological record of, of, I think it's southern Germany, they found some flutes made from bird bone and mammoth ivory that dated carbon dating to 42, 43,000 years ago. You can imagine as you might paint in a cave and there's not really words yet, there's not language, but yet humans are already wanting to make some music together. Uh, that music is just kind of a universal part of the human experience. Uh, we don't just happen upon any culture that doesn't understand what music is. It's just a part of us. We can't help but, but want to, to sing something out. And I've never met anyone who said, I hate all types of music. Right? If someone's like, I don't care for this kind of music, but it, it's, it's a rarity. I haven't come across anyone who's just like, I hate music completely. I only want noise or silence. No sort of rhythms <laughs> or tones that... Get all that music out. Um, but we, we love music and we don't always know why. And part of why is music tends to elevate our language. It elevates beyond where our language and our ways of describing what we're going through uh, can make sense of things. And this is true uh, if you've been through emotional moments in your life, whether they are sad moments, when you go through funerals and grief, Sometimes there's that song that speaks to you that you don't know how to say it any other way, but that song gets it out. And sometimes that's in joy and celebrations. It's the wedding song, that you, the first song you dance to, or, or the song that you and, and, and your spouse first kind of connected around. There's just these songs that bring joy that, that you can't quite put to words, but, but they're somehow elevated beyond the everyday experience. And, and maybe in the holiday season, in this kind of Christmas season, there's these songs that bring gratitude to mind, that bring family to mind, that you can try to talk about how much family means, but you just hear the song and you can't help it. You, you automatically are taken to that place and to that emotion. And so music elevates us into those moments, into those experiences that we can't always find words for, that we're trying to reach for. And it's in the midst of that that we can read Mary's song, that Mary, she had a weird kind of day when she gets this announcement, you're going to have a child, and she's trying to process what that means, and she's like, wait, what do you mean? How, how am I going to have a child? And she responds with an affirmation of, let it be, like, I, I, I accept this. And then she also goes running off to family because she heard that her cousin Elizabeth's going to have a child, and she's like, okay, I'm going to go find somebody else to go experience this with somebody, and she finds Elizabeth with a child, and they have this kind of moment, and they see God at work in each other's lives, and then Mary just can't help it. She starts wanting to sing about that experience, and so hear the words from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and following. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy in accordance to the promise that he made to his descendants, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary can't help but sing out her story, but it's also the story of what God is doing. And there's something powerful about translating what's going in our life, what's going on, and translating it into uh, sharing it with others and talking about how God is at work in our life. And it's not just our story, it's God's story, and how do we sing out what God is doing and what it's, what's going on in me, in me. And so I think there's something to finding the new expression because when you have new experiences, you want to share those new experiences and find new, new ways to share and sing about what God is doing. And it matters that it's timely. Like music is timely. That I, I bet I could probably guess many people's favorite songs by knowing when you were a teenager. If I know the general time frame when you feel the most rush of chemicals and emotions and you're starting to express yourself, there's just something to finding that song that also captures what you were going through in that moment. That song that takes you back to that dance or, or to what song was playing and it depends on what time era we're talking about here. <laughs> but the place where you gathered with other people that you can just be taken back to that moment and music takes us back and it's weird how our brains just get back to that moment and even though no matter how many years have gone past, we get back to that moment all in an instance. And, and these songs take us back, like we were saying earlier, to weddings, to funerals. We make these new experiences and, and these new timely moments of music uh, are, are evident. And then one thing I appreciate from earlier in the services, we kind of went outside of our normal pocket of time frames for singing Christian worship, uh, going into, I think you said in the ninth century Latin text. Pretty much most American Christian worship is 400 years of a window, right? It's mostly 1600s till today, uh, because we like singing in English, and worship in English has a certain time frame that it starts. And so most Christian worship in American Western context, especially like American Baptist ones, is kind of Reformation era on. And we can understand why reformers wanted to create new music. One, they, they were turning worship from um, Latin into their own spoken language. And that means, okay, let's, let's find the words to sing our praise in our common speech in, in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can appreciate even more. And so the songs that emerge, of course, have the characteristics and the tone and the theological flavor of the Reformation. Of course, it's, it's that era. That's what they're going through. As they're saying the church should be this way, of course, they're going to sing about the church in that way. And so we have a, a lot of Reformation-era music that kind of emerges into worship that we've inherited. And and that kind of continues, right? And through, if you pick up a hymn from the 1700s or 1800s or early 1900s, or you're going to get some music that feels a part of that era. And there's a value to knowing the time frame that a song is sung because we can learn about what are they experiencing? What's their heart song? What are they going through that they're trying to communicate and try to sing around? And that's why I think, 
you know, anyone who goes back and who wants to learn about the history of, of a song and learn about the history of certain worship songs and, and hymns, you usually find great value in that. You're like, oh, you know, to know what they were grieving when they made this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know, to know what they're struggling through, it, it brings value to know the timeliness of the music that we sing. And I, and I appreciate that uh, our hymn books uh, have taken part in some kind of little updates of some inclusiveness to make sure everyone singing feels a part of that song. And, and there's a way in which hymnals throughout the kind of eras that they've existed um, have tried to update the, the classics to a new generation, each, each printing, um, because each editorial process, which songs are we still going to sing, was a decision of what songs still sing and speak to the people of this generation. And sometimes certain verses made it in or didn't make it in, or certain words or languages got shifted and all of that was about trying to translate the music of the past into the music of the present. And sometimes new songs emerged into those printings. And we kind of forget that like, people haven't been able to read for that long in human history. And the idea of even having a book of music or having lyrics on your, on your video screen on the bottom uh, assumes a, a literate culture and a literate society that knows how to read. But um, even before that, there was an ability for the timeliness of a song, of a music, to speak to you and its relevance to that moment. And so uh, every song that we love, every song that you love, was at one point a new song. Was at one point someone trying out a new melody. And wouldn't that be just amazing to be back into those moments? Some of the, your favorite songs, to see someone playing on an instrument, trying to come up with a tune, to see their life experience that brings forth the words that they sing. And in the moments where they're like, I think I got it. I think this is going to communicate. I think I've captured this emotion. If we know that song, it means it did catch on with somebody. Somebody received it. But you can also assume somebody heard it and said, that's forgettable. Somebody heard it and said, no, I'm not singing that. Uh, the timeliness of a song means that there's a timeliness of responses. One of my favorite things is to read the responses of, of songs over time. Hear this response to a song that I, I think you might know. Uh, there was a, a like worship journal that wrote, wrote reviews of sacred music. And here's what it said about a certain song. Uh, this song has been performed at many churches and it might be a good thing to discard this piece whose popularity is becoming unhealthy. It's sung on the streets and in social gatherings and at bars with live entertainment. It becomes debased and degenerated. The best would be to let go of it on its own way, far from the houses of religion, which can do very well without it. You think they like the song? This was the 1864 review of the song that we now know as O Holy Night. Uh, originally written in French and composed uh, by French composers. Uh, the song was, was created in, like around the 1840s and it took life, uh, a kind of a special life in America because it was translated by an American minister, John Sullivan Dwight in 1855, who took the kind of poetic uh, lyrics and kind of translated them and made them fit to to our English language, but he also contextualized them. 
And to hear a verse that might not sound too like, oh, well, of course we would believe this. His third verse of O Holy Night in 1855, not too long before the American Civil War, the third verse says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. O oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. In 1855, to proclaim that Christ shall break the chains because our slave is our brother was not well received in certain churches. And while the French criticism had its own place, I am sure that there were churches who would refuse to sing O Holy Night. That churches who said, that's too scandalous, I don't want to sing that, and would refuse. It matters to know the context and the history of the songs that we sing. It's great to hear that in the midst of when it's not a universal acceptance, to be able to talk about dignity and the equality of people as we sing that out. And that song mattered in a new way because they were going through abolitionist movements. As we, as cultures, go through new experiences and new pains, like I don't know what COVID-19 era worship songs are still on the horizon of what is it to long to be close together, to see faces, to be near those we love. Like there's a beauty of worship that's still on the horizon where somebody's classic song we haven't even heard yet. And it matters that we have a way to express new feelings, new emotions, new experiences with God, and we elevate it into song so people can feel it with us. And it's not just about our song, because we have those experiences that we want to sing out, but it's about learning what's the song of those around me, what's their story, what's their experience, because it's not just about mine. I, I get a little moment, I get a piece in the great symphony, but, but what's the song of the person next to me? And one of the things I love about our current modern technology is we have so much data, which pros and cons, right? People have a lot of data about us, but sometimes that provides us with interesting insights. And so one of my favorite musical data points is, is that Spotify, which is a music app, uh, that it gives a kind of year-end uh, wrapped playlist that says, here's what songs you listen to the most this year. And so it gives you the rankings of what's artists and what styles of music that you listen to more than others. And so for some people, they take that as like a, a fun moment, and they use that to kind of show off what their musical tastes are. But I know a lot of people that in a certain segment of their life have that playlist show up differently than they would have ever expected. Because suddenly, for many people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, there's a lot of kids' songs on that playlist. Because especially if your kid likes a song, they are going to play that song over and over and over. And it might not be your favorite song, but seeing the joy of their faces about that song makes it worth it that you endure the song that's not your favorite song, but yet is now on the top of your list because someone you care about loves it. And I think about um, the kind of baseball scene where, you know, when people play an opening song and people come out to, to hit. 
Uh, I like sharing about this because Elvis Andrews, who's a shortstop for the Texas Rangers, a few years back, he picked his favorite song to show up to, to the plate. It wasn't necessarily his favorite song, but he showed up to Baby Shark, which just about every parent knows uh, because kids, I don't know, it, I think it went longer than a year. It was around for a while. But it's just a repetitive song, baby shark, do, 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 do. And then it goes to like grandpa shark and mama shark and baby shark, all of the sharks. And it's repetitive. Well, Elvis Andrews steps up to the plate and instead of this song to pump him up, instead of a song to maybe subliminally get in with the people who pay his paychecks of like, maybe if I play songs they love, maybe they might like me. Instead of picking a song that his teammates might like, he picked a song that the, that the smallest, the lowliest of members in the stadium would love, and he showed up to Baby Shark, to all of the kids' delight throughout the stadium, and everyone got to celebrate the song that many people didn't care for, but because their kids cared for it, it was meaningful. And there's something to finding uh, the story of somebody else, the song of somebody else, and being able to celebrate it and say, maybe this isn't my favorite thing, but I'm so excited and glad that I get to hear the song that you love. And you think about, you know, what is it to show up to uh, the, the fifth grade band concert um, as just someone who likes music and is just grateful to see people involved with music? Uh, usually it's something like, well, we're not quite there yet, but, but what is it to love somebody else's expression of song and their own learning of music where it's not about how I hear it, but getting to be a part of somebody else's expression. And so I, I have to admit that when I think about music and the church, I was often a little, I don't know how to say, bored or uh, bored about the Christian imagination of this like baby-like angelic imagination of eternity, of this like human angel-like, we're going to sing the same song on repeat over and over and over, of like, it's just like one song for all eternity. And I was always like, man, that sounds so boring. Of like, what, like, why are we on repeat on the one song? Uh, but I don't know how we get to that point where we just think, I don't know if you're thinking Honolulu Messiah or whatever song you want to imagine into this scenario of uh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Like, whatever you think is on repeat for all eternity. But what is it to think about the diversity of God's kingdom of music that's beyond our pocket? our 400-year pocket, our language pocket, our instrument pocket. Like, we, we are just in a small segment of the beauty of God's worship throughout all time and space. And to think about the heavenly chorus and all of the expressions of it, of somebody stepping up and, and, and they're singing maybe, I don't know, they're singing this classical uh, piece and somebody starts playing symphony music and somebody comes up and they're beatboxing and somebody comes up and is rapping and somebody comes up and is uh, doing a electric guitar solo and somebody's coming up and playing the djembe drum and some like there's so much diversity to music that it's so strange that we want to water it down into just our little bubble and what is it to get to a place where we want to celebrate the great kingdom of God and the diversity of the, the expressions of faith that are coming out into the world? And it's not just the people around us, but the sound of the wind and the trees and the sound of the water and the waterfalls and that all sound is a part of the great music of God's creation. 
And so I think there's something growing in us to be able to walk in our faith, to learn what our song is. What's your song? What's your story? What's your experience of God that you can't help but celebrate it? But also to come with ears, listening for what are other people's stories? What's the song that they're singing? What's the the instrument that they're playing or the a cappella version they're playing or whatever it is? But to learn how to listen and to be a part of the great symphony that isn't always how we expect it to sound. That there's a little bit of jazz in it that's used to your normal progressions of chords and now a few different notes are going in than you expect. And there's something beautiful in that great diversity of God's chorus. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, if you get to a place where you start drawing your borders tightly and things start popping out of your grip, things start getting loose of like, well, that's not really worship. That's not really songs about who God is. As we grow that, that tightness, we are reducing, we are pushing ourselves away from the great kingdom of God and all of its diversity. There's something to the maturity of finding uh, value in other people's stories and other people's songs and to show up and to enjoy the unexpectedness of what's your song, what's your story, uh, to find the people in, the, in your world around you, your neighbors, who you're willing to listen to Baby Shark for. <laughs> right? Like, who are the people in your life that you need to celebrate and listen and, and sing along with them, even when it's not your flavor? And so here, in closing, Zechariah, who's going to sing out in song. We talked about Zechariah a few weeks ago. If you remember, Zechariah had this prayer about having a kid, and he couldn't believe it. When the angel shows up, he doubts it. And the angel's punishment was that he couldn't speak, that he was going to be silent until the baby was born. And, and he was a priest. He was supposed to go out and give a benediction and say good things and good words to the people that were gathered. But he was quiet, and he couldn't communicate. And when he gets to the end of this time, and when the child is born, it says that then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his old holy prophets that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to his ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. A beautiful song and poem of a father no longer just thinking about, wait, I get a son? but getting to sing out and celebrate what his child and what God might do through his child for the people, for those around him. That God's not just moving for me, but God's moving for all. May we all find our songs of God 
and God's praise and God's exaltation and God's celebration of what God is doing in our lives personally, but also communally in this world. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I want to thank you for the gifts that you've enabled my brothers and sisters who who are alive now and those who've gone before us to be able to praise your name and to sing your songs in so many different ways. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for those moments where we stopped uh, celebrating you, where we stopped singing your name out. We want to ask forgiveness for the times in which uh, we've, we've veered from your will for our lives. We want to ask your forgiveness for those times in which we've distanced ourselves from you or from the other faithful ones who follow you. Lord, we ask that you might give us wisdom to learn our part in this great chorus, that we might learn how we contribute and celebrate you and what you've done in our lives, and you might help us to work in harmony and to sing songs about how you are bringing liberation to this world in new ways. Lord, we thank you and we praise your holy name. Amen.